Welcome back to You Ask For It, a podcast where we like to answer just the hard questions that you've asked. And if you've been with us for a little while, you know that we're doing something different right now. We're walking through the Apostles' Creed, and we're at the, the, the portion of the Apostles' Creed where we're speaking of Jesus, and we're talking about Him being born of the Virgin Mary. This whole podcast tonight is going to be about Mary, and to kind of set it up, to set the stage, I want to give you just a somewhat of a longer introduction and starting it this way, that there was an old Broadway song, maybe some of you know it, and it's been in many productions since. It's from 1923, and it went like this, I am wild about, I'm wild about Harry, and Harry is wild about me. Now here's why I say this. A pamphlet in the, was given out in the Orthodox Church um, some time ago, and in this, in this pamphlet, they were giving it to people who were coming to the Orthodox Church who didn't know much about the Orthodox Church. And one of the sections was called, We Are Wild About Mary. And it focused on why prayers and exaltation were raised to Mary in a worship service. Now, if you enter the Orthodox Church and Orthodox Church today, one of the first things that you will do is kiss an icon of Mary. Mm-hmm. If you go into a Catholic church, you'll light a candle before Mary, pray to her, and perhaps even kiss the feet of her statue. If you're Catholic and say the rosary prayers, which is a, a group of prayers prayed by attaching one to each bead, then you will be saying 10 Mary prayers to every one time you pray the Lord's Prayer. So if you think about that, that's 10 times prayers to Mary to one time to a prayer to our Father. And in our opinion, that's that seems like a math issue, right? I mean, no, the, I, the Father yeah. should be the main focus. Let me give you another, uh, help you see how this is such a big deal. On December 12th, which from the time of recording was two days ago, um, a Millions of people gathered in Guadalupe, Mexico to celebrate when the Virgin Mary appeared to a man in 1531. And he said that that she appeared to him. And and from there, during this feast, it said that many miracles happened. So because of that, in 2021, 3.5 million people gathered in Guadalupe to feast and and pray to Mary to to have their miracles to ask for a miracle. I'll give you an example of one of those people. Fuente, who traveled along to Mexico City from her home in El Salvador, said that she was diagnosed with cancer in 2014 and recovered after praying to the Virgin. When she suggested making the pilgrimage, her husband and two children encouraged her. And this is what she said. She says, I love the Virgin my whole life. I even used to dream about her, Fuente said. My daughter's name is Alexandra Guadalupe because she's also a miracle that the Virgin granted me. So this is a big deal for for many people um, around the world. Now, Mark chapter three, Mark chapter three anticipates an error that we would say is now a part of the Catholic and the Orthodox Church, where they've maybe given too high mm. of a status yes. to Mary. L- let me read it to you. Um, it says this: When his family heard this. They set out to restrain him because they said, He is out of his mind. His mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him and told him, Look, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters are outside asking you, asking for you. And he replied to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking at those sitting in a circle around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister Obviously, and mother. you're not to exalt Mary higher than any other Christian. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. The, in some ways, even the family of God is even sometimes closer than he's saying, even the family of his yeah. biological family. Mm-hmm. Now, 
Because of this, what's happened is us Protestants have become uncomfortable with some of the teachings about Mary and other churches. But I would say this, though. We do need to admit that oftentimes we swing the pendulum way too yes. far in the other direction. So what we naturally do as humans, right? Mm-hmm. In, in, in reaction to one way, we swing it the other direction. I mean, Mary did say in her prayer that all generations will call her blessed, right? Yeah, that's right. They'll call her blessed. Now, before the podcast is over, here's what we want to do. We're going to talk about, we are going to talk about some of the issues we see here, but we also want to make sure we see Mary as a hero to mm-hmm. the church for her faith. Yes. Um, that a generation, that our generation, as well as all those might fall, follow and call out to Mary and say, hey, well, not call out and pray, but just say, hey, Mary, thank you for what you did, yeah. for what you did for us. Right, right. Now, what I'm going to do to give some of the differences, I'll spend a good, a good bit more of the time teaching tonight because being a church history nut, and I've read so much about what of Catholic sources on the Catholic church, I'm going to use the Hail Mary prayer to go through it line by line and jump off and chase rabbits from that to talk about how they view Mary compared to how evangelicals view Mary. Um, I've got the Hail Mary prayer written on the sheet that those who are here tonight I have. Um, Justin, when I talked about Hail Mary, tell, tell me your comment. So I'll be honest, I was like 21 years old before I realized that Hail Mary was not just a football play where the quarterback <laughs> throwing it deep trying to win that game. I had no idea that that was also a prayer. So um, 21, I had a friend that was Catholic and he, started, he said, I'm praying the Hail Mary. And I'm like, you're, you're praying not the a football game on What is going on? Yeah, so I, had to, I learned that then. Yeah. All right. Well, the, the actual prayer that's prayed when, on, on the bead when you get to that is, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Now, let me give you a little history lesson. The first two lines were written around the last part or the first part of the 1100s. Uh, it was not until the 1500s with the Council of Trent that the second, the third line, Holy, um, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now. That was not a part of the original Hail Mary. Uh, Bernard of Clairvaux wrote this, and he said that what he intended to happen when you do the Hail Marys, and the reason it's called a rosary, it's like presenting a bouquet of roses at her feet. So you're honoring her and you're telling her, giving your devotion to her, but there was no prayer asking her to pray for you at the hour of the death. So if you look at that, there's things in the first two lines that we would not consider objectionable because it says, blessed are you among women. If you look at Luke 1, 41 and following, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So you can see an echo of those words in the Hail Mary prayer. And then the prayer we mentioned earlier, when it says that all generations will call her blessed, Mary responds to Elizabeth and said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because He's looked with favor on the humble condition of His servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. So if you were to ask a Catholic, why do you have the, the rosary and spend so much time talking about Mary? They say, we're fulfilling Luke 1, 48. This is our way of calling her blessed. Uh, 
and so that every generation ought to do that. But I've got some objections to some of the wording, and so let me go through this, and we'll do a little bit deep dive into theology here. When the Catholics call Mary, Mary full of grace, what they've been saying since 1870, and by the way, if you, when Catholics say, well, we, we have the beginning, the teachings that we have were handed down from the beginning, you can trace in history when Catholic teaching became a part of the church and when it was declared to be dogma. It's not until 1870 that this particular doctrine was declared to be something the Catholics believe, and the Orthodox do not hold it. But when they say, Mary full of grace, what the Catholic Church has taught since 1870 is that Mary was given a special infusion of grace at her conception so that she never once sinned in all of her life. The official doctrine is called the Immaculate Conception. In Hendersonville, North Carolina, the main Catholic church is the church of the Immaculate Conception. When our evangelicals drive by there, they think that's honoring the virgin birth of Christ. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Right, but it's not. It's, it's about Mary having a special birth. So the Catholics say that she was given grace and she never sinned. Um, so do you know, and I know I'm throwing this off for this. Go ahead. Is there... Is there a what's the scriptural evidence? Do you know that they point to for that? I mean, are they going back to their okay. Yeah, they they really no. There's I'm going to talk about at the end how they have two sources of authority: scripture and church tradition. Okay, and you won't find any scripture. In fact, in Mark three that you just read, you know, here's Mary and her and her her children come come on now. He's beside himself. Let's take we got to talk to him and tell him to take better care of himself. He's not even take time to eat. And Jesus basically, in response to her blowing it that day, said, whoever keeps God's word, whoever obeys my will, is the same as my mother or brother or sister. And so we see her probably stepping out of line in Mark 3. Now, the the Orthodox Church does not teach that Mary never sinned. So here's the deal. Mary will call God her Savior in her prayer. So the Catholic Church technically says that Jesus is still her Savior, though she never sinned. So one of the questions we would have as evangelicals, why do you need a Savior if you've never sinned? Because she was given special grace before she was even born at her conception so that she never sinned. And and one Catholic theologian that I read this week said this. He said, Uh, If you talk about, say, somebody is saved from a sickness, there's two ways you can be saved from a sickness. If you've gotten the sickness, they can give you medicine, and the medicine can be the way that you are saved from the sickness. But there's another way that you can be saved from a sickness. You can be given an inoculation in advance. And so that Jesus is the Savior. For Mary, He inoculated her in advance. For the rest of us, we had to get the medicine afterwards. So she got grace in advance. The rest of us get grace afterwards. And and so that's basically what they're saying when they say that she she never sinned. Now, we believe that she's a hero, but we would never claim that she was sinless. Peter's a hero, but he was not sinless. Does that make sense? And so that's where we hold. Now, one more controversy from this statement. Hail Mary, uh, Mother of Mary, Holy Mary, Mother of God. Now, the Catholic Church uh, will not admit that there was a great division over that phrase, but it happened in the late 300s. There was a church leader named Nestorius, 
And he began to see this emphasis on Mary, but he also began to see Mary referred to as the mother of God. And he said, now, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. How can a human birth God? You know, he said, instead of calling her the mother of God, more accurately, we ought to call her the mother of Christ. He believed in the deity of Jesus. He believed in the virgin birth. He just felt like the term mother of God was going beyond what you should do with Mary. Well, the Catholic Church held a council, and they declared that Nestorius and all of his followers were now heretics, and that the church should refer to Mary as the mother of God. Holy Mary, mother of God. Pray for us sinners. Now, what happened by this time, by the time of Nestorius, Christianity and the Roman Empire were one. So what, when they were declared to be heretics, all of the followers of Nestorius were kicked out of the boundaries of the Roman Empire. Well, if you know the map of where the Roman Empire was, if you're kicked out, you go east. Because the eastern boundary of the Roman Empire would be about the, the edge of where Jordan and Iraq meet today. So what happened is the, the Nestorians continued following Jesus. The only place they disagreed was on, do you call Mary mother of God or do you call her mother of Christ? But they went east and they became missionaries and they spread churches all the way to China. In fact, when Marco Polo did his travels, he found Nestorian churches all along the Silk Road. And they're still uncovering Nestorian churches in archaeology that were there in that time. So this whole section of Christianity dividing over this word. All right. Now, and we, here's getting to the, the prayer to Mary. What we would say, as Steve and I would say, is that we have an issue. We have an issue with praying to Mary. And, and I'll tell you why. The, the Catholics say that asking Mary or a saint to pray for us is like asking a Christian friend um, here to pray for us. The only difference is, is that they're in heaven. Well, the problem with that is there is not a New Testament example of a believer asking a believer who's in heaven to pray for us. And so you don't see that. And then the bigger issue of this, we would say, is considering Mary's prayers to be of more valuable than any other Christian's prayers. You know, Catholics are taught that the best way to ask Mary to bring your requests, the best way to ask your requests is bring them to Mary and then ask her to bring it to her son. You know, often because of that, Catholics feel unworthy to go straight to Jesus because mm. they need to go through Mary. And but, that breaks my heart, that yes. they would feel unworthy to go to Jesus, the Absolutely. Savior. Absolutely. But, but what's interesting to see is in the Gospels, it is, it's the exact opposite of that, right? Yeah. What do we see? You, you go to Levi's house, a tax collector, and what do you see? It says that there's literally tax collectors and sinners that were mm. reclining at the table Comfortable with, with Jesus. Him. Yes, sitting in a conversation with him. So what we would say is we do not believe that you need to ask any saint to pray for you, even Mary. You know, yes, they value Mary's prayers, but we would say this. We have someone mightier. We have Jesus who intercedes for mm -hmm. us, who is stronger than any saint, stronger than Mary herself. Jesus is interceding for us. Two scriptures for that. Romans 8.34 says, Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, he has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. He is arguing on our behalf, listening on our the behalf. The one praying for us is Jesus, yes, not Mary. Absolutely. And then I love this one, Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is able to, comp to save completely those who come to God through him. I love this. Since he always lives to intercede for them. Not only does he do it, it says he lives to intercede for us. I, I am an early riser, and uh, that's just the way my body's built. Even if I try to stay up a little later, I'll end up getting up very early. My dad was that way, so I guess it's a genetic thing. 
One day when my kids were little, they were, they were being kept by my parents in Macon, Georgia. My daughter got up. It was about 4 o'clock in the morning. She saw the light on in the den. And there was a sofa in the den. Behind the sofa was a wall of pictures of all of our family. My, uh, Karen and I and our children, my brother and sister and their children, all of that was there. And Dad was on his knees and he was praying. And there was this picture. And so my daughter Sarah came in and said, Papa, Granddad, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he said, well, I get up every morning. I kneel here and I pray through all the family. And my daughter said to me as an adult, when my dad was still alive, she said, do you know how comforting that is? Because here's, I know this, you may forget to pray for me, but my granddad gets up every morning and he's praying for me. And she found great comfort from the fact that she was being prayed for by her human, her human grandfather. But here's something you need to know. You got prayed for today. And the one who will always be praying for you is Jesus. The reason it says you're going to make it in Hebrews 7 is because he always lives to make intercession for us. That's the reason he can save you completely. Now, there are other things that make us uncomfortable. For instance, I think the Catholic Church gives titles to Mary that we feel should only be given to Jesus. Uh, One of my favorite Catholic authors is a man named Peter Kreeft. I've heard him in person and read several of his books. In fact, I did some of my research based on his books. And he said, the prayers of Mary are the nuclear arsenal for us Christians. That we have nothing more powerful going for us than the fact that we have Mary's prayers going for us. But if you're in the Catholic Church, at the end of the rosary, for instance, there's another lengthier prayer to Mary, and she's called the Queen of Heaven. I don't see that in the Bible at all. We have one who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's our Lord Jesus. But there's no mention of a Queen of Heaven. The other verse that's the other title that's very troubling to me is that Mary is called either co-mediatrix or co-mediator with Christ. They're saying that not only is Jesus the mediator between God and man, but Mary is the co-mediator. Now, this is how Kreeft explained it. He said that all the blessings come through Christ, but Christ came through Mary to us. So all the blessings are coming from Christ, but Christ came to us through Mary. So what happens now is all the blessings that are coming to us presently come to us from Christ, but through Mary. So you go to Mary and you ask her for the blessings, and she is the one who is the go-between between Jesus who will give us the blessings and us receiving it here. But folks, the Bible is clear. There's only one mediator. 1 Timothy 1, 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. So we don't have many mediators. There is one mediator, and it is Jesus Christ. And we would say he is the mediator because he is the one who took on our sin, took on our wrath, something that... Mary did not do, right? Mm -hmm. That's what makes him our mediator. That's the point of the book of Hebrews. Absolutely. Right. But going beyond this, not only are there teachings that I'm uncomfortable with because they should only be given to Christ, there are teachings about Mary in the Catholic Church that actually contradict the Bible. The Catholic Church teaches what we believe, that Mary was a virgin when she conceived and a virgin when she delivered the Lord. However, the Catholic Church says she remained a virgin for all of her life. 
they refer to her as the ever virgin. Uh, now, I'll tell you where this happened. If you go to around the 300s when uh, the Greek philosophy came into the church and they, they started seeing uh, things through the Greek eyes instead of the Bible eyes, they began to say, anything that gives pleasure is sinful and the way to holiness is to not deny yourself things. And, and so how could Mary be holy if she did something as, oh, I can't even think about it, as have normal sexual relations with Joseph? And, and so they, they came up with this statement that she stayed a virgin all of her lives. By the way, there was a Pope one day, this is a joke, Pope one day who died and went up to heaven and was looking through the original documents. And after living a life of celibacy, he said, oh no, the word was celebrate. And, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, so here's the deal. What, what does this mean? So real quick, what does this mean? Who would they say that James, like the author of the book of James is? They would say he's the cousin of Jesus. The cousin, okay. Or... A son of Joseph, Joseph but not of- yeah, but, but, you know, he, he, from uh, a, a woman who had died or something. But that's. But let me read to you. Let me read to you the scripture. Listen to the scripture and see how you would interpret this with plain common sense. In Matthew one, see the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. They will call him. They will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. So the implication is that after she gave birth to a son, they had the normal way that you express love in a marriage, sexual relations. And then Mark chapter 6, verse 3, here's what the crowd is saying about Jesus. Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and aren't his sisters here with us? So we have at least six siblings mentioned of Jesus here. So, so, the, uh, so here's, here's what you have. Catholics say, well, let me tell you how we came to this conclusion that Mary had no other children that she stayed a virgin on. We get that from church tradition. They have two equal sources of authority. There's the source of Bible that they say is true, and there's the source of church tradition that gives us things like immaculate conception and the ever-virginity of Mary. Well, what do you do when these two sources contradict each other? Because I don't believe you can read Matthew 1 and come to the conclusion that she stayed a virgin after the birth. Does that make sense? So they're teaching something that is contradictory to the Bible. And I think you'll have to sit here and decide which one of the two are you going to believe because you can't accept both if they contradict each other. Now, we're going to do what we promised. Let's brag on Mary now. Yeah, we do want to finish off by just talking about the, the incredible things that we do see about Mary in the Scriptures. And one of them we've said already, Luke, 4, Luke 1 verse 42 says this, Blessed are you among women. It says that she is the one that should be deserved blessing among women. I mean, you think about this. She chose, she chose, the, God came to her and says, hey, you're going to birth the son of God. I mean, that, I mean, if you get asked to do that, mm-hmm. uh, that's pretty incredible, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that's an incredible thing to do. How about this? I think it's good for us to, to see that she's a great example of obedience and faith. Think of the implications of birthing the son of God, of knowing that she's not married yet. We know this, that it was such a 
looked down upon thing that even Joseph was going to divorce her quietly, correct? Right? Now, because, if, if, if it were discovered that she was unmarried and pregnant, they could have taken her to the middle of Nazareth and stoned her to death. Had her stoned. That's Absolutely. the reason he wanted to get her out of town. Yes. And so with that, think about... Think about what all she suffered for obeying God in that way to where then you just think about how hard it is sometimes living in a small town. Think about living in the small town of Nazareth where everybody knew that you had a child and that you and Joseph weren't married yet. You know, we sing the song, Mary, Did You Know? And we talk about all the incredible things about Jesus. But I mean, you wonder, did Mary know what she was going to face the from suffering the rest of the world? Have. The suffering that she would face. But look how obedient she was when, when, when the angel said, we, God chose you. She said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Mm. I'm yours, Lord, whatever you want. Amen. 16 years old, probably. Yeah. And gave God that instant, complete obedience. Yes, yes. Would we have that same kind of obedience? Ask right. to do the same thing. So, how about Luke chapter 2, verses um, 34 and 35? It says, Then Simeon blessed them and told. Uh, blessed him and told his mother Mary, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul. Not only did she face the hardships of life, but then she also sat there and watched her son be mm. crucified on a cross to be mocked. Think about that in your own child going through that, to see your own kid in that way. I mean, that is a terrible thing that she, that she suffered from. And I'll tell you this, whereas yes, so often Mary has been taken way too far. I would much rather have Mary to be the model of what so many people would want to be instead of Taylor Swift, Lady Gaga, <laughs> people of this, this nature. Let's, let's let her be the hero for the teenage yes, girls. let her be the hero of someone of faith and willing to push through the hard times and to honor God with her life. I think it's an incredible thing to see. So. Hey, thank you so much for joining us on this conversation about Mary. We hope it was helpful for you. Um, I hope you'll be back with us. We'll take a couple weeks off for Christmas. We'll be with you again in the new year. Thanks.